Good morning, everybody. Before we uh, uh, have our sermon here this morning, Jason, where are you at? Jason Poor, Jason's here. And so, oh, he's out, he stepped out. All right, we'll do this at the end then. So we have a book for Jason uh, to, to celebrate his, uh, his, his baptism that we had uh, here this uh, past Tuesday. And it was just a wonderful opportunity to see another brother in Christ added to the kingdom. We want to thank uh, John Wallace. We want to thank Tyler Brooks uh, for what they did uh, for Bible study here this morning uh, for part two. I bet you could have a multi-part uh, series on that because every time everybody's like, man, he's like, I, just, I could just listen to him. I heard several of the members say we could listen to him just go for hours. And so we love the work that you do, brother. So we pray that God continues to bless you with the health and the strength to continue that work that you do. And we thank you for it. And I fully understand what John means when he says that it is not I, but it's the Holy Spirit, as you can see the Spirit of God working in it. And I often say, you know, every week uh, before I pray, before I, before I teach and preach, I always ask the prayer, you know, I ask the Father, please allow the Holy Spirit to speak and teach through me. Because it's His Word, right? I don't do anything special as I stand before you and I teach or I preach a lesson. It's God's Word that He gives to us that we simply remind you of. And so God gets all the glory, amen? And so as we, as we get into today's lesson, I want you to look on the screen behind me. What does it say? Renewed to life. And so we're going to have probably about a two or three part series uh, as we know that the Easter holiday season is, a, is upon us right here in the coming weeks. And so we're going to do something uh, for the next few weeks. We're going to look at the resurrection. We're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to look at it from different angles and different uh, uh, points of view, if you will. And so this is going to be part one. And the reason why is because uh, the resurrection is at the heart of Christianity, right? We know that there's three Christian pillars, right? We know that God uh, did exist. We know that the Bible is his word, and we know that Jesus is the Son of God. And so with that said, we're going to look at the resurrection for these next uh, today and these upcoming couple weeks. Because each spring, we know that billions of Christians and billions of people around the world, they acknowledge in some form or fashion what? They acknowledge that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Modern day society calls this particular Sunday Easter, do they not? But we know that we celebrate the, and, and we celebrate, celebrate and remember the memorial uh, of, of Jesus' sacrifice, his death, burial, resurrection, each and every Sunday, each and every time that we gather together. We, uh, we, we look at the Lord's table that, that sits right in front of me. What does it say on the front of it? Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus says, often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. We know that we worship God on the first day of every week. Uh, we do it every week because every week has a first day. And so we come together on the Lord's Day to remember what Jesus did for us. And so we're going to look at the resurrection here today and in the coming weeks ahead. Because as I said, here in a couple weeks, we're going to see a, a particular Sunday that the world, Christendom, likes to call Easter. And well, with Easter approaching in a couple weeks, I want us to focus in on the resurrection, right? And I've done many different lessons on, on and around Easter, and not all of them are necessarily around the resurrection, but I want to focus in on it this year. We've done lessons in the past where we've looked at how Easter came about, how it's not a, a God-ordained, basically, religious holiday, but it's something that man has created. And we looked at all those types of things in the past. We've talked about uh, 
how uh, they come about the dates and where that date came from, and I might add that in in the coming lessons. But really to understand Christianity, it's to understand the resurrection. Because there is no Christianity without the resurrection. And so we're going to look at a few different things. We're going to look to answer a few questions here today. Because as faithful children of God, as, as Bible-based Christians, and I say Bible-based Christians because not all Christians are Bible-based, right? Not all Christians are Christians in the, in the sense how God has called us to become Christians. And so we reflect upon the Savior's resurrection each and every Sunday as our regular assembly of the church. Why? Because this, the, the, the example is set forth in Scripture in Acts chapter 20. It's set forth in Scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And so as Christians, we need to take in this opportunity, though, to and really not just this opportunity, but we need to take every opportunity and every advantage that we have to teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. To teach them the good news. And there's two times a year that people are a little bit more open to the scriptures. A little bit more open to talking about Jesus. A little bit more open to talking about religion. What are those two times a year? You can say it out loud. Christmas and Easter. If you, if you haven't ever noticed, church buildings are a little fuller on Christmas and Easter. Well, why is that? Because the world has given them, uh, the world has made those days a little bit more special, a little bit more significant than the rest of the days that we have, uh, the rest of the uh, Lord's days that we see throughout the year. But those are man-made holidays. And what does the Bible have to say about these things? And so we're going to look at that in, the, in these coming weeks. But we have to take the advantage uh, of these two times of year when people are a little bit more ready to talk about religion. Why? Because have you noticed that the society in which we live is, is, is ever more increasing hostile to Christianity, to, uh, to uh, Christian values? To God's moral standard? Do we really hold God's word? Do we hold the power of his word really in high regard anymore? It used to be, brethren, that God's word meant something in this country. His standards meant something in this country. And I know for groups of us it still does, but it's becoming less and less and less each and every year. And so we as Christians must be willing and able to explain to friends and family members and co-workers the significance of the Lord's resurrection. Brothers and sisters, because without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, there is no Christianity. For that is the foundation of the Christian religion, just as the Apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So as we get into this lesson here this morning, uh, the truth is that the event of Jesus' resurrection is undisputable. There is a historian, his name was uh, uh, Professor Thomas Arnold, he's a world-renowned uh, historian, and he said that Christ's resurrection from the dead is the best attested fact in human history. It's the best attested fact in human history. In, in human history. So if that's the case, well then what's the significance of Jesus' resurrection? Well, we know that uh, on this day, approximately uh, almost 2,000 years ago, what do we know? That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. After he was crucified and buried, he rose from the dead. Three days later, he appeared to over 500 individuals over a period of 40 days. And then his apostles watched in wonder as he ascended back into the heavens. And the angel said, 
Why do you stand here, man of Galilee? Why do you stand here staring into the heavens? This Jesus whom you've seen go off is going to return in the same manner in which he came. And so, brethren, we know that this morning we're going to look to answer two questions. Why Jesus had to resurrect and why did he resurrect and then remain here for an additional 40 days? What was the purpose of that? Well, I'm glad to say, and I'm glad to let you know here this morning, that the Bible gives us answers to these questions. And so this morning, we're going to look at the resurrection, and we're going to look at the answers that the Bible gives. So the first point I want us to look at here this morning is, Jesus had to resurrect. He had to resurrect, why? To prove who he was. And so if I was to ask you this morning, who is Jesus? Well, some of you might say he's the Son of God. Some of you might say he's the Lamb of God. Some of you might say he's the Messiah or he's the Christ. And well, you'd be right with those things because that's what the Bible says Jesus is. But now if I were to ask you, what proof do you have that Jesus is deity? What proof do you have that he is, uh, that he is divine? That he is the Messiah? What proof do you have that he's the Son of God? What would your answer be? Well, I've asked this question to some, to some different people. And they come up with things like, well, his wonderful teachings. They'll say things like his many miracles. They'll say things like his kindness, his goodness, his teachings, his miracles. And if those were your answers, you'd be wrong. And you see, I say you'd be wrong because other men have performed those same things before Jesus' birth. If you studied out the Old Testament, have not men, been, have not men raised other men from the dead? Have not miracles been performed? Have not wonderful teachings and kindness and goodness uh, taken place? And so before there was Jesus in the flesh, baby Jesus, there were men who performed those things before Jesus came to this earth. And so Jesus, we, we know that he did all these things, but the Bible doesn't present these as the final proof of his deity. It doesn't present this as the final proof of his divinity, meaning that he was the Messiah. He was the one that was prophesied to come. The Bible says that his resurrection from the dead is the one undeniable event that God established as his true sign of his divine nature. And so we're going to look at what the scriptures have to say here this morning. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul has to say on the screen behind me. When the Apostle Paul went to Mars Hill and then he stood before the Areopagus and then he, he stood before the various uh, philosophers of Athens, notice what Paul said in Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished what? Having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The Apostle Paul told these individuals that the proof that God provided all men that Jesus was the legitimate Savior and judge of the world was his resurrection. It wasn't his good teachings, it wasn't his, uh, his kindness or his goodness or even the miracles. Yes he, has, yes, he did these things, and they point to his true identification, but that's not the evidence that God had given, and that's not the proof that God had given to Jesus' true identity. But the resurrection was the primary evidence. It was the primary proof to prove who Jesus was and to say that Jesus is who he said he was. And so this was not something new. And I say that it wasn't something new because the, the fact of the resurrection from the dead was to be the key sign from all the prophets that had come before him. 
And we know, brethren, that all of the prophets who had spoken long ago before Jesus, you think about uh, the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied over 700 years before Jesus came. He talked about his death. He talked about his resurrection. He talked about the suffering in Isaiah 53 that the, that the Savior would have to go through, that, the, that the, uh, the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, would have to endure you think about what Peter he, uh, has to say. Peter quotes from, uh, from David in Psalm 16, where David prophesies about the eventual resurrection of God's holy and righteous one. And I want to look at another passage of Scripture in regards to this, because the Apostle Paul, he also wrote a letter to the people of Rome, did he not? And notice what Paul summarizes, and he kind of summarizes this entire argument in the first few verses of Romans chapter 1, in verse uh, 1 through 4, he says this, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. Notice what it says in verse 4. Who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. You see, brothers and sisters, there have been many prophets and special servants of God throughout time. Have there not been? I mean, we know and we read about many of them in the Old Testament, and some of them like, uh, like Elijah, or not Elijah, like John and others, even in the New Testament. But we know there's been many prophets, there's been many special servants of God who spoke the words of God, who lived good lives, who performed miracles, and even raised people from the dead. But many other religions and many other people throughout time and throughout the world had begun religious movements, have they not? And they've had millions of followers. Many have died as martyred, claiming to, uh, to defend the causes of the gods in which they claim to follow. But it's only Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is the one who actually rose from the dead according to the prophecies who were made about him. No one ever prophesied about the coming of Muhammad. No one ever prophesied about the coming of Buddha. And yet, we know that Jesus had, a, had to resurrect in order to prove that he was the one indeed who was the one true divine Messiah, the one true divine Christ, the, one, the man who was sent from God and was prophesied going all the way back, even in the book of Deuteronomy, when the people of God, the, the Jews, were, were afraid to even to have God appear to them anymore and begged Moses for him to be their representative. And God said that he was going to raise up a prophet like his servant Moses. And he was going to put his words into his mouth. And that this prophet, when he came, he was going to speak all the words of this life. And we know that's exactly what Jesus did. We learn about those things also in the 12th chapter of John. So brothers and sisters, when someone questions your faith in Jesus and why you believe that he and only he is the divine son of God, your answer should be that you believe because God has provided Christ's resurrection as the proof of his true identity. It's the proof, it's the evidence of his true identity. And it's an answer to God's prophetic word. The second point I want to point out here this morning in regards to the resurrection has to do with, the, with the, the why Jesus had to resurrect and to, to demonstrate his sinlessness, to demonstrate he was the pure Lamb of God, to demonstrate that he was free of sin. Because the Apostle Paul, he summarizes the relationship that we have with sin 
in Romans 6 and 23, where we know it says the wages of sin is death. So in other words, the result of sin in your life is the eventual decay and the death of your body. But we also know that it's the separation of your soul from a holy and righteous God. And so Jesus was crucified. He was died. And to make sure that he was dead, the Roman soldier took a spear, jabbed him into the side, and water and blood departed from Christ's body, uh, signifying death. And then he then placed him in a tomb. And it was Jesus. If Jesus had gone straight to heaven, if Jesus had gone straight to heaven from the tomb without resurrecting, then many could have accused him of not being sinless. They could have accused him as not being one without sin, since death would have had the final say in his life. So when I die and you put me into the ground, there's going to be no doubt that I, your minister, am a sinful individual. Because death will have the final say in my life, for death will hold me until the coming of the Savior. Till the coming, the second coming of the Christ, when those who have died in Christ will be raised first. And so, brethren, we know all that the scriptures teach about these things. If Jesus, had, if Jesus had remained in the tomb, the same conclusion would have been drawn about him. And so, brothers and sisters, because death will hold me until the second coming, but it could not hold Jesus. It had no power over Christ because Jesus had victory over death. Now, someone might ask you, what's the importance of Jesus being sinless in regards to his sacrifice? Well, it goes back to the Old Testament, and that's why we study out the Old Testament after we know the New Testament, because you're a New Testament Christian. You'll be judged by the New Testament. So study to show yourselves approved of what the New Testament has to say. Then go back and learn all that the Old Testament has to say. Learn about the prophecies. Learn about the seed line. Learn about the sacrificial system. Brothers and sisters, we know that Jesus had to offer himself as, a, as the perfect sin offering. We know that he had to be the Lamb of God. For Jesus being without sin was important because a sacrifice for atonement had to be unblemished. And that sacrifice had to be unblemished. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, For as though one man's, through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one who will of the one many will be made righteous. Well what is the apostle Paul talking about there in Romans chapter 5? Well, Paul is referring to Adam and Jesus. Here he says that by disobedience Adam forfeited his life and became subject to death. We also know that Jesus then came and by his obedience meaning that he lived a life without sin. Jesus is able to recover not only the life that Adam uh, lost through sin, but also was able to recover the lives of every human being uh, beyond Adam, post-Adam, who lost their lives in a similar fashion. Brothers and sisters, Jesus made a one-time eternal sacrifice on behalf of all mankind by being the perfect Lamb of God. And we also learn about that in Hebrews chapter 9, approximately verse 28. And so when Peter got up on Pentecost, when he got up on that first Pentecost, uh, post-Jesus' uh, resurrection, to preach the gospel, he begins his sermon by establishing the fact that what? He established the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that he was, he was resurrected. Because he says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 24, And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. 
Brethren, as we gather here together today to hear this message about the resurrection, before going on to offer the good news of forgiveness and reconciliation, what did Peter do? Peter demonstrated that Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, could legitimately then offer the gift of reconciliation. Because he cannot offer the gift of reconciliation, the gift of forgiveness, if he's still in the ground, if he's still in the grave. And so, brothers and sisters, Jesus had to raise from the dead to prove that his sacrifice indeed was a perfect sin offering. It was a perfect, sinless sacrifice unto the Father, which was able to then remove our sins as well as reconcile us unto God. But there's more to the story than just his sacrifice. You see, because God had done his part, but we also have to do our parts. And without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no reconciliation. There is no forgiveness of sins. The third point I want to look at in the first part of this three-part series on the resurrection, the third point I want to look at is that Jesus had to resurrect to prove that we will resurrect. From the moment Adam and Eve were removed from the perfect harmony of the Garden of Eden, mankind's greatest fear has often been what? It's been death. Right? Nobody looks forward to their death. Everybody wants to get to heaven, as the country song says, but not yet. And so everybody fears death. Why? Because for many in mankind, for many in the, in the world, there's the unknown, right? The unknown of what's to come, what's next. And so you know, they're, they're scared of the suffering. They're scared, they're scared of the end of their lives. But the good news, brethren, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that he brings us is that we don't have to fear death anymore because Jesus has, has victory over death. He conquered death. Death was no longer able to hold him. And so because, of, because death is not final, there is life after the experience of death. Many times when I do a funeral, I'll talk about the idea of immortality. Did you know that we're all immor immor uh, we all have immortality, right? We're all going to live on forever in one state or another. And so we don't have to fear death. Your death is nothing more than a transition. A transition unto either heaven or hell at the second coming of Christ. Because when you die, your bodies will go, your spirits, your souls will go to, the, uh, to Hades, right? It'll go to the place of disen, uh, disembodied spirits. And it'll wait for what? It'll wait for the second coming of Christ. When the dead in Christ are going to rise first, then all those will be joined together. Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats. The goats are going to be cast into a fiery hell. And the sheep, those who are obedient and righteous unto the Lord, will be welcomed into the heavenly realm. And so we don't have to fear death anymore. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is important because it shows and it proves that we too will also resurrect. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, and verse 14 and 15, the scriptures tell us, Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had power over death, that is the devil and might free those who through death, through the fear of death, were subject to slavery all of their lives. Brethren, when it says subject to slavery all of their lives, because we fear death, Satan has, was allowed to seduce us and to, to, and to get us to perform all kinds of sinful behavior. Why? Because many of us set our hopes on the things of this life. Many of us set our hope and our love for the things of this world and not 
the world and the future to come. And so, brothers and sisters, through Jesus' resurrection, Jesus showed that death has been conquered and that we no longer need to fear death. Because if Jesus has returned to the Father, he says, I go to prepare a place, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I too will come again and then bring you unto where I am. And so, brothers and sisters, Jesus' resurrection went one step further than merely proving that he had the power to resurrect. He also offers resurrection to everyone who desires it. How do I know this? Well, I know in the Gospel of John, I think it's 14 and 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he says what? No one comes unto the... No one comes unto the Father except through me. Notice what John 6 and 40 says. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is important, brethren, because it proves that because He resurrected, we too shall resurrect. And so Jesus could have gone, He could have gone straight to heaven, could He not? He could have went straight to the Father and commanded His apostles to just go and preach the resurrection of life to unbelievers. But God knew that it would be difficult for many people of the world to do what? He knew it would be difficult for us to believe without seeing Christ Jesus for ourselves. That's why the scriptures tell us that after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to over 500 individuals over a period of 40 days. And brethren, Jesus had to do this because are many of us heart of hearts? Do many people have eyes to see but cannot see, ears to hear but cannot hear? Are many of us slow to believe? The Father knew that Jesus, after his resurrection, needed to appear over a period of 40 days to hundreds of individuals in order to get us, who are slow to believe, who are slow to, uh, to be convicted, in order for us to understand that Jesus came back, Jesus literally rose from the dead, and now that gives us hope for an eternal resurrection. Brothers and sisters, Jesus had to resurrect. And as I close this lesson down of part one of this resurrection, some people allow the spring weather, some people allow the chocolate bunnies this time of year to cloud their vision of what the coming Easter, day, the coming Easter holiday is really supposed to all, always be about. It's about the actual physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from death. It's to prove once and for all that he truly is the divine Savior. To demonstrate that he was sinless and that his sacrifice was sufficient to wipe away the sins of all mankind. To ensure us that our resurrection is possible because he had already accomplished it. So as I close this down, brethren, the question left for all of mankind is, what will each of us do with this information? What will each of us do with this information? You really have two choices. A, you can ignore it and you can reject it, in which case you forfeit your resurrection. And if you reject Jesus' resurrection, there is nowhere else to go for life after death. He is the only Savior and not only promises it, but he also backs it up with the power of the demonstration of his own resurrection. Your other option, brethren, is plan B. You could accept Jesus. You could believe and obtain life for yourself. Because it tells us in Jesus, as Jesus says in Mark 16, 16. It's not on the screen behind me. Many of us know this passage of Scripture. Those who believe and are baptized shall be saved. So what is it? Belief. 
that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to hear the Word, Romans 10 and 17. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. You have to determine whether you believe it. And if you believe it, you need to obey the commands that are given in the Holy Scriptures and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And once you have done this, the Bible promises that all who remain faithful until the end will receive the crown of life. Brethren, if that is your desire here this morning, if you desire to be baptized for the remission of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, to, be, to go down into the watery grave of baptism, to die to self and be raised in newness of life, brethren, you're basically symbolically recreating exactly what Jesus went through on the cross when he died, was buried, and resurrected. And you could clothe yourself with Christ. If that is your desire, you wish to become a child of God, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.